This is Graham Lynch and this is Comms Day Live, a special shortened abbreviated edition this week um, in recognition of the fact that it was a public holiday in our home state of New South Wales and it was a budget week, which meant that telecom companies quite wisely kept their announcements to themselves. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm joined by uh, Simon Ducks. Hey, Graham. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, although it was a quiet week because people were away, I think uh, the news flow was still pretty steady. Okay. Well, um, you, you had a, a great story this week about Air Trunk, a comp- company that not many people have actually heard of, but a, a, a data center company uh, established here in Sydney, Australia, who are now worth about $3 billion Australian dollars and announced that they're expanding to a new market. So uh, the interesting thing that came out uh, from Airtrunk is that they've finally uh, cracked uh, the Tokyo market and uh, they're going to be building a whopping 300 megawatt plus uh, facility uh, in Tokyo. Uh, so uh, Robin Kuda, the CEO, uh, mentioned that this was four years in the making. So they've been really cracking on this and it's an absolutely huge announcement uh, if you think that this company has now got uh, over 750 megawatts across five tier one markets in Asia Pac, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, they've very much targeted the hyperscalers, and uh, already they've uh, got potential tenants uh, looking at uh, Japan. They are looking at an initial. 60 megawatts uh, of the campus in Tokyo should be open by late 2021, essentially. So that gives them now, if you look across uh, all of their uh, facilities, you've got Sydney West, 130 megawatts, Sydney North, 110 megawatts, Melbourne, 130 megawatts, Singapore, 60 megawatts, and Hong Kong, 20 megawatts. So doing great things. Okay, moving on. It was a pretty big week for Optus this week. Uh, They won a bunch of contracts with the Australian Taxation Office. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, it was quite an interesting day because I think we had about four different uh, news stories uh, involving Optus uh, on that day. But uh, this comes from the back of the fact that uh, the ATO went and broke up one of their uh, mega deals, uh, which Optus actually had uh, a couple of years back, uh, which was... Uh, a billion dollars, I believe, over 10 years. And uh, so uh, what the ATO was doing was breaking it down into sub-segments. And I think it's been a, a pretty good uh, uh, outcome for Chris Mitchell, uh, the managing director of Optus Business, because in terms of retention, they've managed to ha- hang on to five of the six slabs of business for the ATO. Uh, nice one too there for Vocus to sneak in and uh, they've managed to grab the uh, national data and internet services package uh, for them is uh, 11.36 million. Uh, the total uh, value that you're looking at for the five packages for Optus is 233.32 million and the contracts are three two-year extension options in addition. Um, So you end up with a total contract period potentially of nine years. Okay. Now, um, you had an interesting lead story in Friday's Communications Day. Um, Basically a warning that some of the major telcos in Australia and New Zealand are prone to having their traffic hijacked. That's a very interesting uh, claim there. 
Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. Uh, uh, Internet Society Aftab Siddiqui has been doing a lot of research on this thing called resource public key infrastructure, uh, which is a little bit of a uh, mouthful. But essentially what it's designed to do is secure the Internet's routing system because uh, Border Gateway Protocol, of course, has no authentication built into it and so uh, is prone to, if somebody is potentially broadcasting traffic with certain prefixes, um, if those are not verified in any way, then uh, they have the potential of being hijacked. And obviously, uh, this has happened in the past. Uh, earlier this year, Ross Telecom, uh, the Russian operator, had a root leak which hit 200 autonomous system numbers, and um, that impacted all of the major uh, cloud providers. So uh, Siddiqui was looking at uh, what was happening in Australia and New Zealand. And interestingly, New Zealand operators are not really actually deploying this. To do it, you have to do uh, two main stages. There's a thing called root origin authorization, and essentially that is uh, allows the... AS number to say this is uh, it's valid for me to originate traffic. So it's sort of like putting your uh, statement of intent there and the certification that you're looking. And the second part of this uh, PKI is the root origin validation. And that means checking every single one of these ROAs on every route and then you not accept the invalids. And Telstra uh, was a uh, big mover in June when they announced that they were going to start dropping invalids, uh, which was a very big thing for the Asia-Pac market because it's one of the biggest autonomous system numbers uh, in the region, essentially. So that was big news. But uh, Aftab told me uh, that uh, after he had a good look, um, uh, Optus and TPG uh, are yet to start deploying this as are nearly all of the New Zealand operators. So I had a quick word with Optus. They are essentially looking at this. They're looking at potential vendors that can help them with this. There's a lot of collaboration with the industry, talking together about how to solve this because you can't do it by yourself. Every operator has to uh, deploy RPKI for it to be uh, securing all of the internet, if you like. And uh, so uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see when they deploy, which is looking about the middle of next year. TPG at this stage are not looking. It was seen the New Zealand telcos are, are still at the starting gates on that one. Let's hope they make some progress on that soon. Thanks very much for joining us today, Simon. Now, if you've been reading Comms Day for the past few years, you'll be quite aware of our reporting on the telco sector security reforms, which were brought in by Home Affairs after many years of unsuccessfully trying. What they basically do is compel telco operators to report on changes that they're making to their network in terms of the use of suppliers or new technologies or so on, which might have an impact on national security. This week the people who run that program made a report to the federal parliament. And we have Rowan Pearce, the executive editor of Comms Day, with us to tell us what was in that report. Yeah, so the, um, it, it's one of those interesting things because it's really the only visibility most of us actually get of how this legislation is functioning. Obviously, you know, you can't really talk about these discussions normally. So when the report comes out, it's quite interesting to see what's in there. And this, um, this report actually revealed there were like 32 notifications during the financial year. 
um, to the CAC or Communications Access Coordinator of Plan, Network or Service Changes. And in three quarters of those cases are actually security um, concerns raised by Home Affairs. So it doesn't actually break down what all those concerns are about, but it did say there were some common themes. Um, one is which is around um, uh, network functionality. So it doesn't actually break them down by uh, particular security themes. So it does set out some general kind of themes of the notifications, but doesn't tell you what each one was for. And so one of the um, one of the themes was network function virtualization and uh, network automation. And obviously, um, Home Affairs saying that they were concerned that telcos didn't kind of understand some of the complexity in the, uh, around these technologies and the complexity of the uh, supply chains. The other uh, major one was really the management of MSPs that are actually involved in work on networks. And to me, in some ways, the the, um, the report um, calling out these themes and the way the language it used, it kind of reflected this ongoing tension that you see to an extent between the government and the telcos over who is kind of best placed when it comes to understanding network security. And I think if you look at some of the discussions around the um, you know, the government moves around critical infrastructure legislation, for example, you can see some of that tension playing out where obviously the government has said that they want this new um, direct action power to intervene in network security. And that has um, concerned some telcos over like, well, you know, is, is a government agency really going to be best placed to actually make these kind of decisions? So to me, that kind of... Um, that, that, that was one kind of theme in the report. The, the other thing that's worth noting too is the, the other major national security report that I'm kind of waiting for um, at the risk of sounding like some sort of NatSec nerd is the TIA annual report, which uh, will, you know is the one that sets out the kind of use of telco interception powers and the kind of operation of the data retention regime, which hasn't come out um, for, uh, for the financial year yet, but, um, but hopefully will soon. Okay, it was a, um, a pretty big week in Canberra all up this week uh, with the budget. Um, one, of, one of the interesting little side plays with the budget is that the Treasury invites any interested party to make a submission to the budget deliberation process. And all those submissions were released early in the week, just ahead of the budget. And uh, you discovered a quite interesting one from Optus, didn't you? Yeah, so this was actually um, submitted by Optus towards the end of last year. And it basically set out an idea that was originally um, raised by the then CEO, Alan Liu, at the Comms Day Summit last year. And it was this idea that uh, MBN could consider using 5G in parts of its uh, fixed line footprint. And the idea would be that's an alternative to kind of upgrading the copper in FTTN or the coaxial cable in the HFC areas. And so the idea that... Um, that uh, Alan originally set out and the kind of Optus elaborated on in its submission was that, you know, MBN Co could really lease 5G capacity from mobile operators and use that as the kind of access technology in those kind of areas. Um, and uh, I think the fact that um, obviously Optus going to the effort of making a submission means it wasn't just some kind of like throwaway, throwaway line um, and they, they did think it had merit. Although it does seem to have been pretty much overtaken by events now that MBN Co is instead going to kind of use its uh, uh, GPN on demand model for FTTN. Okay, and on to the budget itself. Um, obviously, the, the government's big announcement in the telecom space around the budget was the $4.5 billion NBN upgrade, and that was made a few weeks ago. So by the time the actual budget came around, they fired their best shots <laughs> in, in, in this sector. But um, there, there were there were a bunch of, of commerce related announcements in the budget um, of, a, of a smaller scale, but nevertheless quite interesting. 
Yeah, there were. There actually, I mean, actually, there were there were those other two um, pre-budget announcements too. The the twenty nine million for five G test beds, and also the um, thirty million for the uh, regional connectivity program. So, but there were a couple of significant um, smaller items in there. Um, one was there was funding for the Commonwealth Ombudsman to basically improve oversight of the um, the Toll Act or the um, Assistance and Access Act, and I guess the Ombudsman had previously flagged that. Um, he was going to need more resources to kind of like effectively deliver oversight of that particular piece of legislation. There was also the uh, eight million um, for funding um, a public safety mobile broadband trial, which is being led by the New South Wales Telco Authority, uh, and I, obviously that'll be welcomed by the states. But I think it's worth um, noting that the the kind of uh, there has been this um, this tension previously around actually who's going to pay for the the spectrum for this which is like significantly more costly than eight million um and i i I think there's going to be yeah i don't think there's been any resolution there the government has actually flagged that they've set aside spectrum but they haven't said whether the states are going to have to continue to pay for it um so other, other things in the budget, there was also funding for kind of wireless initiatives in WA as well as some kind of there was you know ongoing support um for some of the telehealth measures introduced since COVID hit and also some uh, additional e-safety funding. That's it for Comms Day Live this week, our shortened abbreviated edition. We will be back fully fledged, fully length next week. See you then. Right, left.